professor in the Department of Psychology at Harvard University. He's the author of multiple best-selling books on cognitive science and psycholinguistics, including Enlightenment Now, The Better Angels of Our Nature, and Rationality Forthcoming. He's also been named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World Today and Foreign Policy's Top 100 Global Thinkers, one of the world's leading experts on language and on the mind. I've been a close student of Professor Pinker reading many of his books, even was a grad student of his about 20 years, 20 years ago. And so it's a delight to be here today from Valley Beit Midrash, where this interview is part of VBM's participation in the Sinai and Synapses Project, Scientists in Synagogues. Professor Pinker, thank you so much for taking this time. My pleasure, thanks for having me. So to jump right in, what are, what are two or three important ways that religion in America might look different if religious leaders and communities took cognitive science, your work in particular, more seriously? Well, we'd be perhaps more, uh, less whipsawed by the headline of the morning by the anecdote, by the outrage, by the uh, vivid narrative, and more cognizant of trends that affect you know, millions, hundreds of millions, billions of people, uh, which are far more significant morally, and, uh, but which tend to get lost in the headlines about, of uh, particular outrages. So we would track things like uh, extreme poverty worldwide, we would track uh, deaths in warfare, uh, 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 different categories of violence like homicide and police shootings and terrorism and war and genocide uh, and allocate our effort, our resources, our moral energy to where the most people get hurt, where the most people could get helped. And that, that way, the reason that this is relevant to psychology is that we tend not to be, we meaning human beings, members of homo sapiens, tend not to be very good at digesting data. We don't, we're incurious, but we really are driven by vivid images and anecdotes. This has been called the availability heuristic or availability bias by Daniel Kahneman and uh, Amos Tversky. That is, whatever is available in memory, we think is highly probable. That can lead to you know, big, big misunderstandings. That, that's fascinating. And so part of what I'm hearing you saying is that to pull away from the emotional draw and zoom out to the bigger picture, of, of reducing violence and suffering in the world. So in so picking up here, in response to your thesis of progress in, in the better angels of our, of our nature, where it seems that things will almost inevitably get better, what do you make of those who might use this as, as an excuse to participate less in civic engagement for social progress? And in your six major historical declines of violence, each with their own socio-cultural economic causes, how, how, how minimal is the role of kind of grassroots change makers or social activists in, combat, in combating a violent world in your view? So the, um, forget inevitable, that would be a complete misunderstanding because the major point, especially of enlightenment now, is that progress doesn't happen by itself. There's no such thing as, in fact, there's no such thing as progress as a autonomous force. As Fran Leibowitz once said, I don't believe in anything you have to believe in. So I don't believe in progress as, as kind of a thing that just happens. It is only the result of human agency. The universe doesn't care about our well-being. It often looks like it's trying to grind us down. Things wear out, pandemics happen. And it's only because we, uh, we set ourselves the goal of making people happy and healthy and long-lived and educated and free and safe that, and apply our collective ingenuity to making it happen, inventing vaccines and democratic government and, um, and uh, principles of human rights, 
that uh, that we enjoy any progress at all. Um, you know, bit by bit, and every solution creates new problems which have to be solved in, in their turn. So it absolutely depends on human agency. That doesn't always mean uh, protest activism. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it all, it means uh, science and, and uh, technology developing. Um, uh, artificial fertilizers, de developing antibiotics and vaccines and public health, health measures uh, or institutions that, uh, that allow warring parties to sign peace treaties or to resolve their differences without going to war in, in the first place. Uh, mechanisms like free speech that allow new ideas to, um, to, 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 to be expressed so we can see which ones are true and which ones are false. There clearly have been cases where there have been, uh, where protests have been necessary, the American civil rights movement, the, uh, the movement toward, uh, toward gay rights being a couple of examples. But, um, but sometimes it's just, it's, uh, there, there are other uh, mechanisms. The, um, the, the United Nations was formed as part of the, and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and the decline of institutionalized anti-Semitism weren't the result of massive, massive protests. They were partly the result of the absorbing the bitter experiences of the Second World War and the Holocaust and resolving not to let it happen again. And, and, uh, and people coming together and developing institutions and spreading messages to prevent it from happening again. So, you know, when, 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 as people, when we interact with other people, we're always operating, it seems, off assumptions of human nature. Can we trust others? And, um, and who is the other, the stranger that I don't know? So in regards to your work in the blank slate, do you believe humans are hardwired in any ways toward vice or virtue? Well, both. Uh, that's why in a, a later book, I, I stole Abraham Lincoln's expression, the better angels of our nature, uh, a poetic way of expressing the idea that we have better angels and we also have inner demons. We've got tendencies toward magical thinking and tribalism and authoritarianism and vengeance and dominance and self-deception. But we also have empathy. We also have reason and rationality and cognitive processing. We also have self-control. We can use these to uh, develop institutions that are explicitly designed to marginalize our inner demons, like uh, freedom of speech and a free press, <clears throat> like the checks and balances of a democracy, like the, uh, the, the rule of law and a, a criminal justice system, uh, like international organizations that, uh, that uh, try to keep countries from each other's throats. So uh, if we're smart and if we're, uh, we apply our smarts to the right ends, we can uh, uh, empower the better angels of our nature to marginalize our darker side. So, so the assumption there is that you believe in free will? Well, I, I, I don't believe in free will in the sense of some miracle that happens in the brain. I believe it's, it, it's, all, it's all neurons, it's all molecules, it's all the laws of physics and chemistry. I do believe that the brain is so complex that uh, an awful lot of our behavior is unpredictable. Uh, I believe that we take into account other people's expectations and uh, norms and uh, contingencies of uh, praise and blame and reward and punishment, and we can anticipate them in planning our behavior. And that's really what we want free will for. We hold people responsible because we think that their choices depend on uh, how we hold them responsible. Uh, paradoxically, that you could call that a kind of determinism, even though that's why why we we, we uh, want free will—that is to be able to hold people responsible. 
Uh, so I do believe in free will in the sense that no one anytime soon probably ever is going to be able to predict human behavior, but I don't believe it comes from any um, soul or magic or miracle in the skull. Got it. Great. Just one last question for you today. So you, you've argued that human cognition works in part by, by uh, uh, combinatorial symbol manipulation, not just associate, associations among sensory features, as in many connectionist models. On the debate around the blank slate, you explain that the tragic vision and the utopian vision are the views of human nature behind right and left-wing ideologies. Can you share a little bit more about how you how the views of human nature are affecting political ideologies today and where you think they might miss the mark? Yeah, so this is an idea that I adapted from the uh, economist and, and public intellectual Thomas Sowell uh, in his book, the brilliant book called The Conflict of Visions, which posed the question, why are the classical right-wing positions uh, associated with each other and conversely the, the left-wing positions? How come if you know someone's position on, uh, say, abortion, you can kind of predict their, their position on uh, economic regulation, on redistributive taxation, on the size of the military, on capital punishment. I mean, a priori, you wouldn't think they have anything to do with each other, but they but they seem to. And so, so uh, he, he wasn't the first, but he's probably the most forceful and uh, coherent, suggests that they come from two visions of humans in society. The tragic vision, which is that all of us are saddled with um, certain uh, um, un unsavory limitations. We're selfish, we're limited in our knowledge, in our wisdom, and we need safeguards of society to protect us against ourselves and, and uh, the uh, utopian vision that there's no such thing as human nature, we're blank slates, we can program kids to, and, and program the culture to grow any kind of human we want, and so we can have a perfect society once we uh, kind of extirpate all these nasty things like selfishness and greed and lust and, and, and so on. Now, of course, these are ex extreme poles and there are various intermediate positions and, and, and hybrids, uh, which I myself advocate in, in the blank slate. It's less, uh, less applicable now to our major political parties now that they seem to, it seems to be more just raw tribalism, my side versus the other side, as we see in the way that some left-wing positions uh, almost overnight became right-wing positions and vice versa, such as uh, openness to immigration. That used to be a, a right-wing position, then it became a left-wing position, such as budget deficits. That used to be a right-wing position. It's sort of no longer a right-wing right position. Uh, sympathy to versus hostility to Russia. Um, with the, 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 the Trump uh, takeover of the Republican Party, some of those alignments have been scrambled and it may just be like the Yankees versus the Red Sox. <laughs> Fascinating. Uh, Professor Stephen Pinker, thank you so much. Friends, I encourage you to read uh, his many books and writings out there. My pleasure.